Welcome to the Technoid Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's guest, Dave Yeager, CEO of Hub Group. I have to tell you, uh, the show is sporadic in a way that most of my like live shows and podcasts kind of are, but I just like got lost in this story because he like he's been here for 45 years running this company that was like 50 million dollar market cap now four billion in revenues and just like crazy and that's like in itself a cool story but like the bigger part is he this business hub group has been in and out of this industry non-asset holding to asset holding to heavy train to just i mean he does it better than i do explain the business but i will just tell you there are so few companies and, and CEOs that have weathered the changes in tech, in data, in usage, in operational efficiency, in operational strategy, and in innovation. And he like touches them all. And like every single time we get to a point where I'm supposed to say, and then how did you? And then I'm like, I nerd out a little bit and I ask him another random question. We go off on a tangent there. So I uh, hopefully you enjoy the show. I think it's, you know, for those of you who are, you know, in the tech scene in Chicago, you know this, but for us, you. Chicago really is like one of the, uh, if Boston is insured tech capital, then Chicago is logistics capital. No question about it. And we used to be a big manufacturing hub, and then we weren't, and then it was next shore, onshore, offshore. Um, and now I, I really do think that like it's companies like Hub Group that, that sort of champion this space and keep us where we are in Chicago, and it's a, it's a cool story. So you'll enjoy that. Uh, obviously, this episode is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free. Uh, last little plugs here. Speaking at the block, uh, Voice of Blockchain, uh, I guess we're, we're behind because it was today. I was just say I had a great time, um, and I appreciate Disruption Joe, who was on this show uh, a couple weeks ago. You can go to technori.com or follow us on Spotify and listen to the podcast with Disruption Joe talking about blockchain and crypto. And I also want to give a shout-out to a podcast that's coming out right after this, uh, with my buddy Ken Wynn, who is the CEO and founder of Republic. If you are a listener to the live show, which is Saturdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, called the Startup Showcase, you can, well, you should already know what Republic is. Uh, it is where we equity crowdfund. It is where all the companies who come on here and equity crowdfund. Um, and so there is that. For more information and to follow all the things we're doing, of course, uh, you can follow Technori on all things social at Technori. And of course, you can follow me at Katoon, this is my interview with Dave Yeager, the CEO of Hub Group. I I've always get excited when we talk to anyone who, there's like three boxes that I like to try to check. One of them is someone who's been across multiple, I don't want to say, it's not about date and age as much as it is like transformation. Right. So there's like three major transformations, and, I'm, and you could talk globally, but really like I'm just focusing on Chicago and I think it's applicable really, like I said, globally, but um, there's the the digital, the first touch of digitization, and that is not actually, people think when I say that, that that's like today, it's actually like 30 years ago when you started getting computers playing any role whatsoever, and then there's sort of the data collection, data use, and now we're in this this stage that I would call like real true data automation, data like application, and that is something that obviously you know a lot about. The next part is manufacturing and supply chain and logistics. It's an area that I think people gloss over because it's just so comprehensive that they are like, oh, I don't even, 
I don't even know where to start, so I just I just won't start. Right. There's a whole lot of different aspects to it. Uh, yeah, and and I think it, it's it's one of those. There are very few pieces of business that I think are like this. It's just worth noting that you can work. 35 years in an industry in one little tiny part of this and like go all the way up 10 layers of business and never touch any of the other components of this business. You have no idea. I mean, you know, they exist maybe. And they're all separate expertises. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like the, the lateral movement is, is not like a normal business. And that is interesting to me from the Chicago standpoint. And then the third box that we obviously like to, to touch on is innovation and tech. And Chicago uh, has popped and propped itself up over the last, I would say, you could go back 20 years, but I would say the last seven years um, as an absolute global leader in logistics and in data usage. And you could, you could look at the eco-logistics, you could look at coyote logistics, you could look uh, unrelated but similarly touchpoint is catalytic. You could look at what uptake is doing or was doing, depending on how you want to talk about that. Um, and, and just the the vast growth that this city has had and and the parts that i i want to really dig down with you on is how the the pre-existing the mature the legacy companies have taken to it or not taken to it and what the implications have been so we've got a lot to unpack here we do um but you've got a lot of stuff that you can set on the table so we're good to go because because obviously uh hub group is is a, a very successful forbes recognized company um so maybe we start off with with what hub group is and then we'll, we'll work our way into all the good stuff okay great uh hub group uh, actually was started by my mother and father in 1971 in a, a one-room office over a flower shop in hinsdale uh, I joined the company immediately after undergrad in 75, and by that point, they'd already grown the business up to about 20 employees and $20 million of revenue. Uh, obviously, gone through a lot of changes. Uh, we did take it public in 1996, a whopping $50 million market cap at the time, and, uh, but transferred over to a public company, which, of course, gives us great access uh, to the public markets, Yeah, uh, which because the private markets really were not... Uh, really all that available uh, back in 1996. So as you, I mean, uh, the hope here is that you're going to mature into a CEO of this company someday. You know, you haven't been there long enough, 1975. It's only been, you know. 44 years. It's been 44 <laughs> years. It's, but like the, the crazy thing is like <clears throat> the landscape of Chicago is so different yes. when you took it over to now. Talk a little bit about like what you saw coming in. Like for, obviously you knew it's your family run business, like, Fresh out of college, what did, what were you looking at? That's that's an interesting question. Uh, what we were primarily at that time, I mean, the, the industry itself at that time, the reason my dad started Hub Group was because the industry itself had a terrible reputation, which they grew, they really, really worked on to maintain. Yeah. Uh, and he thought that if you could come, bring integrity, uh, be fair with clients, give them good customer service, that you could prosper. And sure enough, obviously, the results reflect that. Uh, when I first got into the business, it was completely non-asset based. Uh, we did not, you know, there was obviously there wasn't even faxes at that point in yeah. time, which is uh, antiquated to begin with. Um, in addition, uh, the railroad supplied the equipment uh, and uh, the intermodal product at that point was looked upon very negatively by the railroads uh, because at that point in time, uh, the profitability was so low. Uh, so it was a business that uh, in the early stages, uh, was was very, very tough. I think that uh, uh, a lot of small entrepreneurs, nobody of any size at that point. Yeah. 
So uh, on your end, there's like there's two things that sort of glaringly stick out to me as interesting. And part of it is from my side growing up in a household where my father was in manufacturing his entire career and traveling with the, you know, the Southeastern Electrical Association and manufacturers and listening to like Cutler Hammer and all these like names that, you know, no one who I am friends with knew what the hell I was talking about. Um, But I would travel around with him and I, and you kind of mentioned this briefly in your explanation, um, the importance of creating a better customer experience and being that, um, what's the best way to put this padding, if you will, in a, in an otherwise very, uh, stiff and sometimes difficult and cumbersome job and, and sort of a, 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 a career that can be challenging. Uh, and this is in the 70s and 80s and probably into the middle of the 90s. And I remember traveling with my dad and being like, wow, the, these these guys in manufacturing, and this went across all kinds of stuff. It wasn't just in electrical. It was all over the place. They build relationships. Right. It is everything is about relationship. And it's like, listen, some quarters we're not going to do well. So you're going to you're going to pick me up and other quarters. You're going to call me and say, hey, we're not doing well and I'm going to get you some discounts and help you. It was a a relationship that would last for their entire careers. And as we pivoted towards the late 90s into the 2000s, I remember going to a couple of different outings with him and thinking it didn't feel the same to me. And now, in retrospect, when I talk to some of the technologists who come on the show and they talk about what they're creating they they immediately, and obviously a lot of times you're nerds who are talking about tech, right? So they're not really thinking about the actual person in this. They're just talking about the tech they're creating. And I was like, truthfully, what, what, you, what a lot of these companies, and Echo is a great example of this, uh, have done is they've recreated through technology a lot of the benefits, the efficiencies, the, the knowledge, the domain knowledge, the access to information, access to trends that we used to do 30 years ago person to person just calling you and so what i think is is particularly interesting from your standpoint is you've been there at every stop and you've grown the company by leaps and bounds at every stop and where a lot of ceos all the way down to people just working the business failed is that they they stuck to their niche and their way and then they let it they let the business pass them by and you didn't do that and i would just love to know if you are self-aware of that, if you were, if you were the whole time, you're like, I'm not going to let business pass by. I'm a, I'm going to learn, learn, learn. Or, or did you, were you aware that this was going on? I would just love to know, like, cause you, there are not many people who build a company and continue to grow at the pace you did through such just complete different businesses. Yeah. I think the, the, the main thing we've always tried to focus on is evolving into being open to change, knowing that our processes, they may be great, but they can be improved upon. Yeah, uh, and so we never we always try to keep an open mind. Uh, as I said uh, in the earlier remarks, uh, when I first got in the business, we owned nothing. I mean, not even the telephone at that point yeah. in time. Yeah, uh, And as the intermodal business began to evolve. Uh, we saw that, in fact, uh, if you don't have your own assets, you really can't be a player. Our traditional competitors are, for the most part, uh, they've either been minimized or are completely out of business at this point in time. And the asset-based players are really what dominates that space. What was the, the – I assume that there was several meetings at some point where you were deciding whether we're going to be asset-based or we're going to continue. Because like, that's, a, that's a big change, one. Obviously, it needs capitalization, two. But it's also – in, in a lot of ways, we talk about this on the VC side of things. Uh, the minute you take real money, like in other words, institutional money and not a private investor, somebody that you know, or some sort of inside deal or no money, you have a different business. 
You're now you now work for a group of people that have nothing to do with your business versus the people who know why they invested. It's a very unique situation. So you there had to be a conversation there where you're like, this is who we're going to become, and it's worth it because why? Well, basically, uh, I was at lunch uh, down in uh, Fort Worth with the CEO of the Burlington Northern. Yep. And he basically told me that uh, we're not going to furnish the assets anymore. So my choice was well, to either <laughs> to say, so, so either it wasn't adopt, really a conversation. Or, right. It was it's, more it, just okay. It was very direct, and uh, so I, I, I understood that. Uh, I think it was a big transition for us. I mean, going well, sure. from not having to actually control the asset all the time, make sure that you had balance, making sure that there's a lot of things to it. It's very difficult. Uh, it's a totally, I mean, it's to say it's a different business is not even, that's a, like the most injustice. It's a change in mindset. It Correct. really is. And the way that you treat the business. How old were you when that took place? Uh, that would have you been. You can round down. I can round down. I was probably at that point about, uh, that was probably 20, maybe 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, that that first took place. So you'd taken, you'd, you'd been seasoned enough to, you, you've like, the reason I was asking is, is like, this is one of those things where there's. There's lack of experience, and you're like, you know what? We're just going with it. And then there's also like, maybe this isn't the worst thing for us. At the time, we probably thought that it was not the best thing for us. Yeah. Uh, again, looking in hindsight, uh, fortunately, he, we had that conversation. Yeah. Because we sure. would not be in the position we're at right now. Uh, and as a result of that, I think it's also driven us uh, uh, forward with technology. Uh, we are the first, and I think still the only fleet, of, uh, we have 40,000 containers, uh, and all of them are tracked with uh, GPS devices. It took us about six years to work with several technology companies, first of all, to create a device that the railroads couldn't knock off yep. and that could have a battery life that would be long enough for the container. Um, and then the implementation and the cost, obviously, associated with it. But it tells us not only where the container is, it tells us if it's got any freight in it, because it has a sonar device on the interior, as well as the doors have been opened. So it, it forced us to make a lot of technological changes. And as a result of having all that information and visibility, uh, we've been able to go yet further and give predictive analytics to our customers uh, about when their shipment will be delivered, what's on the uh, container. So just it's... It really was a driver for us. I, I think it's the interesting part of this that is unintended, but a great outcome is there's a, you know, for anyone out there who follows innovation and tech, um, in particular, those who are CEOs and C-level that are trying to build their own company or are running companies, because they listen to this show to get insights from people like you. The thing that is maybe the most important as you grow companies, especially a mature legacy company, because it, it really has a different set of rules. Um is foundational innovation, is having a structure to it. And in the beginning, your structure would stay alive probably. But like as it started to like take shape, I imagine you learned pretty quickly how much innovation is totally like we need to create something that doesn't exist versus, you know, we've got a pretty solid infrastructure in, in history here and a lot of information. We probably could make an inter incremental change that would be good. And then now that we've made this change, maybe an acquisition of this company and this company might make a lot more sense for us. Once you start to have that foundation building on that becomes it's almost like a cheat code those that don't have that foundation have zero chance of competing with the hub group but because you have that you are able to in my view see the playing field very differently and much further 
What is it like for you guys internally when you decide we're going to go after this or we're going to create this beacon or we're going to we're going to take advantage of new technology that, you know, no one else in our market's using? What is the process internally like? That, that's yet another interesting question uh, from a uh, just a uh, the narrative of uh, progressing with our technology. Uh, we really look to how it will impact our customers. Yeah. Uh, what? How positive will it be? Will it create cost savings? Uh, is there synergies uh, that are appropriate there? Uh, and from there, we have a, we have a very rigorous process that, that goes through the tech. Uh, with from a technology perspective, the way that we focus on it is. Uh, that the commodity type, uh, where you might have an ERP, something such as that, yep. uh, we buy that off the shelf. Yep. Uh, make sure that it's in the cloud. But anything that's really a value-added, uh, customizable product, uh, that we create internally. And that gives us a lot of uh, flexibility as far as uh, using our industrial engineers, using uh, uh, the assets we have and the infra knowledge we have in the transportation sector uh, to be able to progress it to give solutions the customers do in fact need and something that's usable for them. Can I ask you a really stupid question? I'm going to try it. Sure. I just am curious on your end when you look at this, how did you come to the determination that you're going to rely on all of your custom and like the stuff that is your gray matter. You're only going to build custom when it's that and it's going to be customer centric versus what the vast majority of your former competitors now insolvents did, which was we're going to try to build our own from scratch day one, everything and master everything. Most of them and including many startups here who go belly up really quickly didn't they fundamentally don't look at it the way that you did and i'm just curious was that you the team the whole group being like you know what like this is like, did you even look at another option was it just like right off the bat it made sense like uh no th- you know, through painful experience okay. <laughs> and to be perfectly honest uh we used to try to build virtually everything yep. and uh our, our our last build which was about eight or nine years ago, we completely failed. Yeah. And uh, so I think that uh, we stepped back from that and re-looked at <clears> it. Uh, and uh, really, our, our chief information officer is the person that really uh, pushed for us to have uh, that strategy. And it's worked out extremely well. It's uh, what we're going to continue to go forward on. Uh, but part of it's from having a great uh, chief information officer, and part of it's from a painful experience. The flameout must not have been too catastrophic. It was probably about $10 million, but the problem was yeah. that it really diverted management attention for so very long. And most of, and I guess what- I feel like that's the biggest loss, actually, financially, right. especially with these companies. Like, we always, we always talk about numbers about money lost and gained because it's something that the newspapers like to write about. But the reality is the human people capital that is lost when they're all, a, a, a t- you know, we had a, we did the speaking thing yesterday and, and talked to a guy, uh, Ram Charan, who brought up a whole bunch of stuff, but he played- um, a piece from the COO of Amazon. And they said to him, what is the one way that you, you set up your teams? <clears throat> and he said, "This it kind of blew my mind a little bit. He was like, yeah, yeah, we're singular focused. Great, everybody likes to say that. What does that look like? We literally build a team that has all of the potential required components for whatever task, HR, marketing, finance, sales, whatever. And we let them run completely amok with a set budget and expiration date on a task and i don't care what you did before this task and i don't care what your title does after this task you are not to report or read or do anything outside of that and i it just blew my mind it was like 
that you're removing like seven or eight layers of the business and saying, we're going to run this organization on a three-layer org chart. And like basically you 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 ride it out and crash it and you don't have that that organizational distraction. Right. And that's the thing that most of these businesses I think get, get crushed by. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, going back to the, uh, the the failure we had with the IT implementation, it really wasn't the money that upset me. It was that the lost time it was about two and a half years uh, yeah, that we didn't move forward, uh, creating some customer value with our technology and the huge amount of uh, uh, management time it took. And we were we were meeting earlier today and uh, talking about uh, a, a particular client that is taking up a tremendous amount of time, and uh, it's it's a mon- losing money. Um, although we can weather that, but it's the amount of time that it's taking up. Yeah. It just divert your resources uh, to areas that uh, just aren't productive. It it had better be worth it. I mean, if you're going to take on a, a client like that, and, and this is hard, even at four billion dollars plus, it's hard to turn down a client and turn down money. And it's like a lesson that I think a lot of founders, CEOs, anybody really, salespeople should know, is if if the headache is, and, and we're not going to only do business with people we like because that's just really you won't make a lot of money. <laughs> like, no, that's not possible. It's it's very hard. <laughs> but if if you can limit it to we're only going to take on the difficult clients that will be either challenging in a rewarding way for our our growth of our company and the people who work here, they'll enjoy it even though it's a pain in the ass, or it will yield an investment in a development that might be a new market for us. That's the kind of stuff that like, I think is exciting to the, the smart CEOs take those deals. It's the, the ones that become a, a huge pain and a headache and they're just sort of distraction that, that we try to avoid. But what, what I think is another kind of interesting learning from what you've told me is the customer centricity piece of this, because I, I'm just curious when you, when you had the IT development piece that did not go as, as well, did you, were you building, was, was the team building for what it thought it needed and wanted, or was the team building what, it, what the customers really did want, but they just took a different approach to it? I think the major problem is uh, that uh, we didn't effectively communicate between the business and our IT people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're right now undergoing a major implementation of uh, Oracle, their OTM product. Oh, the, the most fun. Yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. Who doesn't the, love a good Oracle <laughs> implementation before the new year? It's not at all painful. <laughs> uh, but we have about 25 business people that their full-time job is interacting with IT to make sure that we're implementing it as the business should run it. Yep. Uh, and by doing that, I mean, and this is some of our best people that we've diverted their attention. Uh, it's now been a year and a half, uh, but we're also going to come out at the back end of it with a product that's useful and functional. Yeah. No, I, I think it's it's just I, I just think it's this is like an inside out interview because normally I come in and it's like a you know fast moving tech company and they're telling me all this stuff and I'm like. You know, you may want to think about that twice. Eh? Right. You're like, I'm not, you need to fail on your own to learn. This is the exact opposite. And it's like, I, I don't even know. I mean, you pretty much said it. It wasn't, it was learned. There's just trial and error and get there. But like, you have taken advantage of some of the, the brightest tricks and the, the right moves again and again and again. And I, I guess that's probably why you guys are so successful and still here. And a lot of the incumbents are not, is because you, Every single time something went down, there was like, we did a post-mortem. We looked at it. Like, is this the right move? What and did we, we do? innovate. Yeah. Right. Instead of like innovate and then we spend all of our money on this big idea that I had when I was out to lunch with Frank. And you come back and you're like, that wasn't a very That's good idea. not going to work out too well. No, nobody. But did you bother asking a customer? No. Well, why would I do that? 
they just complain. Um, no, this has been very fascinating. Uh, I would love just on the way out of this, a, a, a quick anecdote from you on um, either something you see as a next, like another iteration of another future implementation, another future advancement to the logistics, the trucking, the industry in general. And if not that, or if that, uh, something that you see that is moving well in Chicago here, where, where we hold a, a special place in this industry? Well, within the industry, certainly in the truck brokerage segment, Chicago is a very special place. Yeah. Uh, with Coyote, with Echo, with Hub. Um, and you've got Uber Freight coming about very shortly as yep. well. Uh, so it's really a hub for the truck brokerage and a lot of the innovation within the truck, uh, truck brokerage space. Um, you know, I would say within transportation right now, where we're really excited, we're seeing the U.S. more and more move towards outsourcing. Yep. Uh, Europe is probably at this point about 45% outsourcing of the logistics management. Uh, we're probably in at maybe 10%. Wow. Uh, and so that, had, that was basically uh, the reason that we started a logistics company about 15 years ago. We now have with freight under management that's a uh, crazy number like that's a that's not an ins- I mean, that's that's le- legit like a it's not insignificant at all yeah uh and you know a lot of large companies are not going to completely outsource uh but we have we deal with a lot of fortune 500 companies where they may just outsource a segment of the business that for them is not large enough yep but it may be a potential 20 million dollars in revenue for us yeah which is so fantastic. it is significant to us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, again, this is basically as we define logistics, it's transportation management. Uh, we basically bring technology to our clients so they can better manage their supply chain. So the medium spend of our customers on transportation is probably fifty million, uh, but we can deal with uh, uh, multi-billion-dollar companies as well. Uh, again, more in specialized services, they're managing their less than truckload, that type of thing. Yep. Very cool. This is uh, very fascinating. Like I said in the beginning of this, I don't get a chance to talk to uh, legacy companies enough. And it's it's interesting to see you were there from like the beginning to the like this whole thing. It's just it's unique. So I I really appreciate you taking the time and and coming in and and talking about this. And uh, for those who if you're hiring or or, or want to to work with you, uh, where do people go to learn more about Hub Group? Uh, it would be www.hubgroup.com. Uh, we're located right in Oakbrook. Very uh, cool. With our headquarters and, in fact, building uh, another headquarter building. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Thank right. you. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, check out my conversation with Chris Tucker, the president of MBX Systems. It's on Spotify. Just follow the Technory Podcast to invest in featured startups or apply to pitch on the Startup Showcase live on WGN Radio. Go to technory.com. Boom. That's a wrap.